we look today at a chapter where Paul has to move on and move on again. But does that stop him? No, because wherever he goes, he can't help but speak about Jesus. Welcome, I'm Michelle Berkey, and this is Praying Scripture, a weekday broadcast where we use God's own words to honor Him and to talk to Him about the things going on in our life and in our world. Join me today as we dive into episode 118 and we pray our way through Acts chapter 17. But before we get started with that, we're going to open with a bit of worship. And today we are worshiping through Acts 17, 2 and 3, and 24 and 25. So here we go. This is Acts 17, verses 2 and 3, and it says, As usual, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. And verses 24 and 25 say, The God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth does not live in shrines made by hands, neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. So let's dive straight into prayer. Father, I, I come today to you simply in prayer, simply because I need this relationship and I need this time together. And the fact that everyone else can join me is just a bonus. That we can pray together is kind of a miracle, really. The technology and everything that has come about. But with none of that, I'm here today to honor you because you are the God who has made the whole world and everything in it. You are Lord of heaven and earth. Nothing I can make is a God. Only you are God. No matter what shrines or what things I put together, nothing can compare Nothing can be a substitute for a relationship with you. And even though we might serve other things before we know you, since I know you, my goal is to serve you as nothing else compares. You give everyone and everything life and breath. You, Jesus, I proclaim also as the Messiah. As we move on from this into, into the whole chapter, I pray that you would help me make sense. Um, help these words come out clearly, simply so that people can understand. Spirit, I pray that you would open the scriptures to us in a way that uh, this chapter may not have been opened before. Pray that you would speak to each one of our hearts. Pray that you would use these words to transform our lives into looking more and more like Jesus each day. And I pray that I would not stand in your way, that anything I do or say here is honoring to you and does not put roadblocks in anyone's way of having a relationship. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, that's the opening prayer this morning. We're going to dive right into chapter 17. We see Paul starting a couple of the main churches that we know of through his letters. We see him in Thessalonica, we see him in Athens, and Paul treats these two populations a little differently. When he's talking to the Jews in the synagogues in Thessalonica, he's reasoning with them from the scriptures. He's using the scriptures as the basis of his argument because that's the Jews' base. When he gets into the Greek Athens and he starts reasoning with the Greeks, the Greeks are very used to talking about ideas. They loved to debate ideas. And so he presents himself as the idea and he reasons with them as it was customary in their culture. And the cool thing about this chapter is 
that the places that he talks about where he spoke originally about his discussions with them, and then they took him to another location to present his work or his material, his, his ideas to another group of people. I stood in those places when I was in Athens, when we went over there to yeah, it was a mission on a mission team serving refugees. But one of the things we did was we went to this location where they think that this happened and we stood on Mars Hill where he presented to this group of people, this body of people, and we read his words to them and we spoke them out in that location. When we were there several years ago, this was, I don't know, three, four years ago, it was a it was where the kids went to hang out and smoke pot. So there was um, a lot of kind of just groups of people hanging around up on that hill. And we were talking about where Paul might have stood and how that would have felt. And, and we read his words and people listened. And it was, so this chapter has some extra meaning for me. But let's just go ahead and dive into it. All right, we don't start in Athens, though. We start with Paul on the move. Scripture says, After they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As usual, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scripture, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a large number of God-fearing Greeks, as well as a number of the leading women. But the Jews became jealous, and they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Attacking Jason's house, they searched for them to bring them out to the public assembly. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too, and Jason has welcomed them. They are all acting contrary to Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, Jesus. The crowd and city officials who heard these things were upset, and after taking a security bond from Jason and the others, they released them. All right, let's dig into that portion here first. Father, wherever wherever Paul went, he would proclaim the news of Jesus. And whenever he did that, he started in the synagogues. And whenever he did that, some were persuaded, but the Jews became upset. They became upset because their influence and power was being threatened. And when we proclaim Jesus, it threatens the power structure because it's so anti-power structure. The way we build up our, our culture and our power systems, it's anti that it turns everything upside down. The passage even says, these men who have turned the world upside down, which I think is interesting. And I, it shows that as Paul was doing these things, and even as we're reading about all the riots and the attacks, and when he's stoned, and when he's sent away, when he's arrested, all of those things that we keep seeing, these actions and big dramatic moments we keep seeing, but we might lose the thread of the fact that everywhere he went, how he walked through those moments and how he talked about you changed people's lives. They were turning the world upside down. They were declaring another king, but not one in the power systems that we build. And I, I pray that however we proceed through those things, through the big events of our lives, whether they may not be riots and stonings and jailings, but whatever those are for us, how we proceed through those and how we talk about our, our resources and our strength in Christ matters. And it turns the world upside down one person at a time. So scripture goes on to say, 
As soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. Upon arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. The people here were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, since they received the word with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Consequently, many of them believed, including a number of prominent Greek women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul at Berea, they came there too, agitating and upsetting the crowds. Then the brothers and sisters immediately sent Paul away to go to the coast. But Silas and Timothy stayed on there. Those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving instructions for Silas and Timothy to come as soon as possible, they departed. All right, let's pray through that section. Father, we see Paul moving and having to move because of threats against him, because of those drama moments, those big events, those the stonings and riots in the cities that followed him, and the Jews getting really upset, and they weren't content with just chasing them out of their own town. They followed him to the next town, which was um, the towns that have been mentioned so far were a day apart. They, they, they go out of their way to chase him down because of the threat that they felt that he was to the establishment, essentially. I pray that as we move on and we uh, leave those, whatever those threats are for us in our life, we need to be aware that that can follow us, that the waves that your message makes in the world is threatening to powerful people, is threatening to the wealthy. It threatens pocketbooks and it threatens power and influence. And I pray that that we are on the right side of that coin, that we're on the right side of that equation, that we are on the side of not just not just characterizing it as Christ versus the world, which it kind of is, but we're feeling our power and our position and our influence and our pocketbooks being threatened by the things in your word. We need to examine it. We need to examine our heart to see if we're on the right side of that equation. It also is kind of amusing that <laughs> these people in Berea were more, how did he describe them? They were of a more noble character, <laughs> which kind of makes me laugh because these people, instead of just being threatened, instead, they turned to God and asked if these things were true. They searched scripture. And I would ask that that would be our first impulse as well, not to feel threatened, but instead to search scripture and see, are these things true? Is what I'm hearing true? Does it line up to what God says in his word? So now we get to Paul getting to Athens. Scripture says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worshiped God, as well as in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with him. Some said, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? Others replied, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So let's stop there for a minute. Father, when we walk into a place, into a new culture, into a new town, into a new group, into a new environment of any kind, let our hearts respond like he did. He was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. Certainly Athens was known as a, a city of temples and a city of idols, but we have the same thing in every place we turn in our culture. Help our hearts be distressed by the idols that we find around us as well. And he was speaking in the synagogues, but he was also speaking in the marketplace with anyone who would listen. So help us also be willing to talk 
about the difference that you make in our lives. Next section says, they took him and brought him to Areopagus and said, may we learn about this new teaching that you are presenting? Because what you say sounds strange to us and we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which it was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrine made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man... He has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their anointed times and boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Since then we are God's offspring, we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him. But others said, we'd like to hear from you again about this. So Paul left their presence. However, some people joined him and believed, including Dionysus, the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Okay, that was a long passage, but I didn't want to break up the speech. And I was trying not to be distracted because as I am speaking those words, I am transported to that place on top of Mars Hill looking over the city of Athens. It's pretty amazing. Let's pray through that. Father, those conversations that he had in the marketplace, entering into a culture that is fascinated with the new and fascinated with the unusual and is fascinated with the debate over ideas. He entered into those conversations where they were. He met them where they were, and they asked to know more. He was given an opportunity to go through the whole of your uh, message, the whole of the gospel, because he entered into those conversations in the marketplace. And so I ask that we don't minimize the conversations that we have because they allow us to enter into more opportunity. So even if we think they are small, even if we think they are not being received, I ask that you would give us the courage and the, the right words at the right time and the sensitivity to your spirit to know when we should have those conversations. And that then you would use those to open more doors. Because it's not our responsibility to change hearts, it's our responsibility to respond to opportunities that you present us with. So wherever we are, in whatever place that we find ourselves, in whatever situation of idolatry that we recognize. It's our responsibility simply to have those conversations and to open doors for people. Because that's what he was doing. He was opening doors in a new city. Pray that you would help us to do that as well. Amen. That is it for today. If you are watching here on the live or the replay on the Grace and the Gravel Road Facebook page, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate you being here and I will be back on Monday. This is Wednesday. Next time we'll be here is, is Monday at 10 a.m. Central. I would love for you to join me again. I'm grateful that you have been able to hang out with me today.
If you're a podcast listener, I ask you to subscribe to the show because that helps the algorithm make it available to more people by assuming that it is important since somebody is subscribing and liking it. We are brought to you by Grace and the Gravel Road, helping Christian women grow a God-first life and business. And my heart is that as we do this a couple times a week, that we all grow in our prayer lives and that God will use this time to direct your heart in your circumstances as he does for me. But most of all, I hope that you'll fall deeper in love with the God who gave us these words. Amen. Amen.